Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Hi, this is Joe Castellano from thesportsvirus.com. Welcome to the Inside China Basin San Francisco Giants baseball podcast on the Believe Podcast Network, featuring our regular guest, two-time World Series champion, former Giants reliever, George Contos. Gabe Kapler is not Bruce Bochy, so he's going to run things his way. And I'm sure with Farhan, they've had their discussions on what the best course of action is for the ball club. Inside China Basin is brought to you by Keynes Tire in San Rafael, the lowest prices in Marin County for over 60 years. Well, joining us today, a very special guest and a newcomer here to Inside China Basin on the SportsVirus.com, Mark DeLuke from AroundTheHorn.com. Thanks a lot for joining us today, Mark. Thank you for having me. How are you? Great, great. And, uh, you know, I just wanted to start out by introducing you to our listeners. Tell us a little bit about yourself, how long you've been writing about the Giants, and uh, what's going on with AroundTheFoghorn.com. How long has that been around? Yeah, that's uh, Around the Foghorn, the sort of flagship Giants site for Fansided.com. They're kind of in that minute media apparatus. You can kind of go around there. We we are the company has sites for pretty much every major team, college through through pros. Um, you can make sure to stay up. You know, Warriors, Niners. There's sites for all that, and I've written for them on occasion. But you know, I'd say I want to say it's three years ago now. I started kind of contributing part time while I was in college, and over the past year and a half, kind of two years, I've taken a sort of more prominent roles. Uh, it's called the co a co site expert kind of functions, um, like the editor of the site, and so. You know, over the past couple of years, just kind of ramped up my coverage. I, I grew up as someone who always followed prospects really closely. That was, I guess, um, you know, where well, one of my early passions, one of the areas I kind of found a niche early on writing about Giants prospects. So that, that kind of um, became sort of an avenue for me to kind of, uh, you know, build sort of a little source base, grow a little bit of audience. And, and that's sort of expanded out to doing more standard coverage of the team alongside of kind of my prospect work. Yeah, and we're going to talk about some Giants prospects in a little bit. But first, let's talk about the Major League team. And this has been really surprising to a lot of people that the Giants have been playing this well. They're 15-8 and eight as we speak here on a Tuesday late afternoon going into their game against the Rockies. They're coming off a 12 to nothing victory. So, I mean, this team is riding high right now, tied for first. I mean, it's way early, but tied for first with the Dodgers. Just saying that, it uh, doesn't matter how early it is. That's pretty cool. So, has this team exceeded your expectations so far? Yeah, definitely. And I think there's, you know, some time for obviously, you know, there's plenty of time for, for things to go in excuse me, the, the other direction. But this stretch, too, is really interesting because they're at 15-8, like you mentioned, coming in to the Rocky series. They were 14-8, and still a game ahead of the Padres. And their next 12 games, or I guess next 11 after their, their victory, like you mentioned uh, yesterday, over the next 11 games, five are against Colorado and six are against the Padres. And, of course, you know, everyone expected the Padres and Dodgers to be the favorites in the National League West. And to be fair, the Giants have benefited. They've beaten up on each other in some incredible um, baseball games down there in Southern California. But, you know, if they're the Rockies are clearly the, the, the consensus worst team in the NL West, maybe even one of the worst team, maybe the worst team in the National League. If the Giants have an opportunity, right, if they can take five out of six uh, for, from Colorado, you know, maybe just if they split the series, maybe take four out of six. Uh, from San Diego over this stretch, they could give themselves a sort of early season four or five game cushion between uh, them and the Padres. You know, I'm curious to see how this plays out. You know, I think there are scenarios you could have told me the Giants got off to a hot start, but I would have been hard pressed to believe 
that was going to come on the heels of elite starting pitching and frankly, a middling kind of middle of the pack offense, which is actually how we've seen the Giants do it so far. Yeah, I mean, the pitching has just been spectacular. I don't think anybody expected the starting pitching that they're getting. And, you know, you wonder if that can continue. But, hey, you might as well just kind of ride this out as long as you can. You're getting a shutout out of Di Sclafani. And I don't know yeah. that people, you know, expected him to be as good as he's been. Gosman, you know, he was supposed to be up there near the top of the rotation. But just it seems like almost every performance now has been really good. So let's go with that same kind of question where uh, I'm asking you if you thought that this could materialize the way it has so far. Yeah, you know, I, I no, frankly, I mean, I was I, I was pretty low on the rotation. I thought the of the arms out there, this free agency. I mean, I'll admit, um, you know, I was wrong. I, I was skeptical of the Disclafani signing. You know, I thought, um, you know, people were really quick because of the success the Giants had off last off season with Drew Smiley and Kevin Gaussman. You know, I, I thought people were putting a lot of luck in them kind of striking gold twice in an area where that's just not something, you know, you see very often. You know, it's hard to find good starting pitching. I still think what we've seen from Aaron Sanchez is something that we're going to see. Uh, I don't think that's sustainable success, even though he's done a good job of controlling runs. But I think that's kind of counteracted by the, the progress we've seen from Logan Webb this season. I think there's what we're looking at down the line, assuming obviously health for Johnny Cueto and everyone in the rotation, is that we'll see probably Sanchez shift to a role in the rotation and Webb lock down that, that final spot. Because what I've seen from Di Sclafani, what I've seen from Alex Wood, what I've seen from Johnny Cueto – I don't have that many questions. I mean, obviously, you know, their ability to maintain the quality of play they had in Cueto, obviously, when he, when he was healthy, we'll see when he returns from injury. But, you know, they looked like good pitchers. Like, it wasn't something where I felt like my, uh, the results were different than what my eyes or what the advanced analytics were telling me. And so I do believe that these, if this, these guys stay healthy. But I think that now becomes a big question because, you know, I mentioned Sanchez. Obviously, Cueto, you know, is up there in age and has a pretty significant injury history at this point. Wood obviously has a huge injury history. And, and you know, Webb is not too far removed from Tommy John surgery. I don't think he's ever thrown more than 120 innings in a season. So I, I do think if they become reliant on the starting pitching, I can maybe even get behind that talent-wise, but now it's going to be a lot more about the health of that starting five, which is something, again, I thought they were going to have to test their depth just because of quality, um, and that's not been the case. I think one thing working in their favor, though, is that, again, I think the offense is, is still a strength of this team, and I think what we've seen early, from early season struggles, whether it be Mike Yastrzemski or Austin Slater, I think we're going to see that improve and kind of even out. And so they have some wiggle room where if the starting rotation does take a step back, if you know guys do start to falter on the mound, you, you hope the offense, can give them, you know, obviously they didn't need 12 runs yesterday, but, you know, if DiSclefani had struggled and they went to the bullpen, they still could have won that game because they put 12 on the board. And I think it's more plausible that we can see the offense bail the starting pitching out because the starting pitching has been bailing the offense out a lot early on. Oh, yeah. And we'll get more into the lineup in a minute. But, I mean, you know, Alex Wood coming off the injured list and pitching the way he has his first couple of starts, that surprised me because he, I mean, he has really been fantastic. And the other thing that's, you know, a little bit uh, interesting to me that I like is that Gabe Kapler is actually letting some of his starters go not only deeper into games, but I mean, he let Di Sclafani throw a complete game. Now he didn't have a high pitch count. He ended up with a hundred at the end of the whole thing, but it's a 12, nothing game. And you would think he probably wouldn't allow him to do it, but it seems like Kapler is kind of evolving as far as how long he's letting his starters go 
Yeah, we're seeing Kapler, uh, you know, I think the easiest word to use is just trust his pitchers, whether that be starters, whether that be relievers. And again, I'm someone, if you follow me um, you know, on, on Twitter, I'm pretty open about, I am not big on using relievers on back-to-back days. And Gabe Kapler uses relievers on back-to-back days, like almost no one else in baseball. But I, I think that's emblematic of the trust. If he goes to a pitcher, even if they pitched um, the day before and he goes, Hey, are, are, are you good to go? Can you give me an inning today? And they say, yes, he's going to show faith in them. I, I think the giants have been bitten by that at times. I think he's more likely if the starter is in a jam at times or a reliever pitches into a jam, he's not necessarily going to have as quick a hook as I, and maybe some other people would, but I do think, you know, thus far this season, the pitching staff has earned, you know, some of that trust and proven um, and taken advantage of those opportunities that some, another manager and probably even someone like Bruce Bochy wouldn't have given them. So far, Kapler and company, they are relying heavily on Tyler Rogers. He's getting a lot of appearances and Jake McGee. And, you know, I don't know if I agree with that. I don't know that I want Rogers out there in a lot of these leverage situations. Yes, he's been really good so far, but I think hitters can figure him out. And with McGee, I'd rather see him just in there in the save situations. I think there have been times where, you know, he's out there and then you don't have him the next night in a save situation. So I think they need to be a little more prudent with how they're using him. What do you think? Definitely. If you, uh, I can give a plug to my own Giants podcast, Sound the Foghorn. Uh, you can check us out wherever you get your podcast. I just talked about this too, where, you know, the Giants, uh, sometime last week, they had a four run lead and they put in Rodgers in the eighth. It was the, the game where Alex Wood threw seven, either shutout or one run innings, and they used Rodgers in the eighth and McGee in the ninth. And I talked about this where, you know, yeah, to me, that was not the situation to use either of those guys, especially because they both had pitched the day before. So not only was it a four-run lead, where I trust the Wandy Peralta, a Caleb Baird, or a Camilo Duvall, even a Gregory Santos in those situations, but you're basically ensuring that if they're going to be used the next day, you're really pushing it, and you probably don't want to use them. And we saw that bite them, because the next day, it's a 1-1. It's Kevin Gallison with those eight innings, one run, 11 strikeouts. It's 1-1 in the top of the ninth. And that's a situation where we seen Kapler in the past go to his closer in the top of the ninth, banking, betting on his offense to get a run in the bottom half. Instead, he goes to Gregory Santos. And again, I don't have a problem with using Santos in that situation. I saw people being critical there. I'm never going to really bash a manager for putting a young player, putting a prospect in a pressure situation. I like that for the prospect. I think that's important for development, even if they struggle like Santos did. With that said, it's what's good for the prospect is different than what is best for the team winning the game. And I think if, if Kapler, if you ask Kapler, if McGee had been rested, if he hadn't pitched the day before, I bet you he says he uses McGee in the top of that ninth inning. And that's a situation where, you know, maybe that goes differently and, and they're going into extras or maybe able to pull off a win in the bottom of the ninth. And I think the way Kapler plays is one where he almost treats every game like game seven, right? Where the game <laughs> in front of him, if he has a lead, he wants to keep that lead. So he's going to use Rogers and McGee. And part of it, I think is he's banking, right? The giants are on this hot stretch. You know, most people would guess there's going to, there's going to be a cold stretch at some point this year where he won't have to use McGee or Rogers. He may not even have to use them for seven straight weeks, right? Or not seven straight weeks, seven straight days, right? If the giants go on some, some bad losing streak. And so he's trying to maximize it now, but again, given McGee's age, he's had shoulder issues in the past. I'd like him to be a bit, 
uh, frankly, a lot more, more more cautious with his usage of those guys, and also because, and you know, we can talk about Wandy Peralta getting moved to the Yankees today, but you know, prior to today, you know, I had a decent amount of trust in a guy like Wandy Peralta or Caleb Berger. You know, he hasn't been good this year, but Harleen Garcia and Matt Whistler, even our guys, the Giants seem, you know, have have reason to trust from from what they did. In 2020, you know, I, I would like to sort of balance it out and given some of those other players, um, you know, some of those opportunities, uh, especially someone like Berger, who really hasn't pitched as much. And we saw him used quite a bit last year in high leverage roles. And again, like a four run game to me, that's the perfect situation for someone like Berger. Well, I think I, I like the trade, uh, you know, Mark, I think if you're looking at uh, the depth that they have, as far as left-handers, they have so many left-handed relievers. They could afford to give up left-hander Wandy Peralta, who went to the Yankees, by the way, in case you missed it today on uh, Tuesday to the Yankees for Mike Talkman, who is an outfielder who really hasn't had a lot of major league experience. I mean, when he's been in the major leagues, he's hit for a little bit of power, but I mean, it's nice to get another outfielder fielder and to give up a guy who's a lefty when you've already got all these lefties and both guys are about the same age it's not like you you know gave up a real young guy and you got this 30 year old outfielder uh you know Peralta's 29 Talkman is 30 so it seems like it's a pretty good deal for the Giants what'd you think yeah I, I'm right there with you uh Peralta will turn 30 in July Talkman will be 31 in December so they're you know roughly um the same age for for all um intensive purposes and you know I, I think there's you know, they've had a chance to trade from strength for a while. I think it's been obvious. Um, you know, when you when you look at team control, I think Peralta has actually one fewer year of team control as well. Now, you know, that's that's I think Peralta's through arbitration for two more seasons. I think Talcum's under arbitration for three more seasons um, if both perform well. So, so that's another sort of plus in that category. I think the other thing too is Talcum. Again, is someone Farhan Zaidi mentioned to, today with the press that that's Talkman, someone he's wanted since he came to the Giants, and it makes sense. He's a you know guy who's shown some pop, but has not struck out much in the minor leagues, even a pretty solid strikeout rate in the bigs. Has walked at a decent clip, has been above average defensively at every um, defensive position, and hasn't shown big platoon splits. I think he immediately slots in uh, opposite Austin Slater and Mauricio Dubon both of whom have struggled mightily against right-hand pitching throughout their career and especially this season. I think Kalkman gives them that, that compliment so they don't have to make, you know, lots of people and myself included were hoping that Slater could emerge into this 162-game everyday player, hit righties well enough, and mash lefties to be a really good everyday player. And it just hasn't come together for him like uh, many have hoped. And so Kalkman gives them that insurance to be able to say, all right, Slater doesn't need to play against this right-handed starter because we have someone we trust defensively in center and has a, a good shot offensively. We'll have more with Mark DeLuke from AroundTheFoghorn.com right after this. When it's time for new tires, you want the lowest prices and the best service, don't you? Well, Kane's Tire in San Rafael has you covered on both. Kane's has the lowest prices in Marin County, and they provide the warm and welcoming service that you can only receive from a family-run business. Voted Best of Marin for 35 years in a row, Kane's prices beat Costco's prices every time. Kane's Tire, 1531 4th Street in San Rafael. Give him a call at 415 453 3942 that's 415-453-2942 for Kane's tire let's go back to the offense because I don't mind so much that Kapler is going to have you know some platoons and he's going to use a lot of players throughout the season as far as different lineups and all that and I think these players are getting used to that you know I think at first Mm -hmm. it might be kind of hard if you're the veteran guy but one thing that kind of rubs me the wrong way Mark is 
when you've got a guy like, let's say, Tommy Lestella, three for three in a game, and you pinch hit for him, and I know it's a lefty-lefty matchup, and maybe you know it's not that favorable, but the guy's three for three in the game, and we were talking about this last week. I was talking to George Contos about it, and both of us feel like you just don't pull a guy out of the game when he's three for three. What do you think? I mean, that's kind of Kapler's way of doing it. He, he wants to have all hands on deck, but sometimes I think you know you, you get a little too much with analytics. Yeah, well, that, that also is a big part of, you know, how Kapler is able to manage these relationships in the clubhouse, right? Like, I think that's going to come down to, you know, I guess for lack of a word, personality management and, like, the relationships he has, you know, with these guys. I think I, I, I'm if it creates friction, and I think it, it, there's very easily ways it could become something toxic where guys feel like what they're doing on the field isn't affecting their playing time. And, and what I, I do think the, the flip side of that, though, is while, you know, Lestella may get, you know, pinch hit for when he's going three for three and facing a lefty, you know, obviously Solano's hurt right now, so it's not the same thing. But if Solano's healthy and Solano goes three for three and a tough righty comes in, Lestella might get in the game, right, when he gets the pinch hit for Solano. And I do think Kapler has been pretty consistently fair about pretty much everyone, with the exception of maybe Mike, Mike Yastrzemski and Posey, pretty much every position player is is pretty susceptible to being pinch hit for, right? They, part of it is they have the advantage of all these platoon bats on the bench. You know, I think if, if it was something where it seemed like he was particularly picking on one or two guys, that could become an issue. And again, you know, to, to answer the question about whether it's the right thing to do in terms of the baseball, like is Lestella better, more likely to get a hit that fourth time when he's three through three, you know, I, I don't know the answer to that question, right? I mean, we saw last year where he'd pinch hit for Alex Dickerson after going two for two with a homer for Darren Ruff when they brought in a lefty and Darren Ruff would then go two for two with a homer. We saw it work well in that sense. And, yeah. and so, you know, I think that the big thing for me is, you know, what do the players feel about it? How are the players reacting right. to it? And I, I do think, you know, Kapler, because he's so consistent about it and almost a zealot about, you know, playing these platoons, that it hopefully makes it easier. And hopefully players understood, you know, like a guy like Lestella, who chose to sign with the Giants as a free agent, you know, that, that he knew what he was signing up for. That you hope that the Giants didn't tell him or give him the false uh you know, they didn't sort of lie or be deceitful and say, you're going to play 155 games and get 600 plate appearances if you sign with us. That if they were honest and upfront, I trust the uh, players to, to understand that. But I do think there's something to be said for the Giants do have, to, I want the Giants to give players the opportunity to prove they're more than a platoon bat because. You know, you as good as platoons can be for a team, you can't have nine positions of platoons. There's just not enough <laughs> roster spots. Right. And and I think and that's what I, I appreciated about them giving Slater this kind of early season audition, basically as an everyday outfielder in center or, or, or left, getting to play every day against lefties and righties. Now you could argue he should have got more time to prove it, but you know I think he struck out with 45 percent of his plate appearances this year against righties and is slugging 550 against lefties and so you know I hope they give players if they perform really well an opportunity and they tell the guy look we're going to give you a couple weeks here we're going to challenge you and see if you can rise to the occasion I hope they do that because I think that's where you'll run into issues where if players feel like nothing they do on the field is going to impact their playing time I think that's where you get into issues where you can create a really toxic environment in the clubhouse yeah no, there's no doubt about that uh, you know Slater yeah he's K'd a lot so far this year so has Yaz uh, and those guys you know they'll pick it up as they go along those guys are going to hit I would think the thing that's really a promising sign for this offense is that you have a couple of 
veteran guys that are really locked in. Buster Posey already has five homers, and I guess it's not that much of a surprise because you see that he's healthy. You see the way he's able to turn through the ball. Uh, he's hitting you know fastballs that are 97 miles an hour. One that was up that he hit out of the ballpark, you know, up uh, by his letters, jammed, j- drilled it right out of the ballpark. And Evan Longoria is the other guy, another veteran guy who's just been locked in from day one. Seems to be a really good sign for this team. It is, and Longoria has been someone I've been clamoring that is on the verge of breaking out for it seems like a year and a half now because he's been someone expected statistics when you look at the uh, launch angle and the exit velocity on his hits were things that they always expected more out of his production, and part of that is he's a pretty heavy pull hitter. He was pretty easy to shift, but I've always I've been saying for some time now that the Longoria that was with the Giants the first season has been different than the Longoria since, and we've seen that finally play out on the field in the production numbers this season. And I think we're, I'm hoping that the Giants can see it, you know, go on for the rest of the season. You know, the Giants, when Zaidi got hired, there's a lot of talk of all these underwater contracts that no one would want, that no one could contribute anymore. And frankly, the reason the Giants are competitive now is a lot of those quote unquote bad contracts, right? Johnny Cueto, <laughs> you know, before he was injured, was was doing quite well. Evan Longoria has been, like you mentioned, Buster Posey, you know, Brandon Belt's been solid. Brandon Crawford, you know, has been solid. These are the, all the players seemingly that were the reason Bobby Evans had quote unquote failed, right? The reason the Giants were done as a contender. A lot of those players have rebounded. Even a trade that I still cobble. I don't have any problem with Zaidi trading Mark Melanson. He got rid of the contract and acquired a prospect I like interest in Beck, but Mark Melanson's doing incredibly well with San Diego right now. So I think that's sort of an interesting thing for Giants fans that I hope is a good recalibration because I think the Sabian Evans era sort of put the Giants in a place. I think fans are naturally kind of contrarians, right? Whatever your organization is doing, whatever the team you're doing, there's, there's two lines of that, right? You have kind of homerism, right? That you defend and justify everything the team <laughs> right. you like is doing, or you have like the contrarianism, right? Where you, everything the team is doing is wrong and is terrible <laughs> and something else is always better. Right. And so I think Sabian and Evans, especially because Sabian was there for so long as the primary decision maker, it led the Giants and fans to really like and, and crave prospects and analytics to a greater degree, which, again, I don't have a problem with. I'm a prospect guy myself. I, I was prone to that as well. But I think what we've seen in the years since Zaidi has gotten there is that a midpoint is really important, that, that you know, maybe at times Evans and Sabians were, Sabian were overly aggressive, didn't value young players as much as they should. At the same time, I think what we've seen with Zaidi is the value of holding on to older players. It's the value of signing a Wilmer Flores to a three uh, two year deal or Tommy Lestella and a Jake McGee to a three year deal. That I, I think you know we're kind of and I'm hoping Zaidi can find that midpoint where the Giants aren't going to go all the way over to kind of the flip side of what Sabian and Evans were because I think what we're seeing this season is while obviously Yastrzemski and you know finding a Kevin Gaussman and Viscofani credit to Zaidi have been incredible parts. And, and the reason this team has been successful, some of that too has been the success of veteran players who many Giants fans had given up on and frankly would have been happy to have been fine if they'd gotten cut a couple of seasons ago. Yeah, I like that happy medium for sure. All right, let's talk about some of these young prospects. And, you know, already some young pitchers have come up that people didn't know a lot about in Duvall and Santos. Uh, Camilo Duvall, I mean, throws hard. He's got this really good slider. Uh, Santos, and people are starting to get to know him a little bit. Tell us about both of those guys. Uh, What did you know about them before, and how do you think they're doing so far? Yeah, uh, you know, I come out with a – Top 31 prospect ranking uh, every year for the Giants at, at this point in preseason. I think I had Duvall at 31 on the list and Santos 
at, I want to say 25. Let me just check right here. Yeah, he was 25. Um, Kervin Castro, another kind of reliever in that mix who hasn't gotten promoted, but I expect we'll see at some point this year is 26 kind of right in there. I'm generally just relief pitchers kind of have a, a low, you know, obviously a lower ceiling. So that's kind of why they're towards the end of the list. But Doval and Santos are two guys who have closer type upside. As we've seen, they both have this high 90s elite velocity, but the the real kind of carrying uh, the calling card for them is the, is an elite slider as well. Doval kind of right frisbees it in from almost that sidearm kind of three quarters ish angle that's just really hard for right-handed pitchers right-handed hitters to pick up out of his hand and so it makes it really deceptive and difficult against righties now the question is always going to be with Doval how will that play against lefties because you know what's really good about that side kind of angle against righties is often a benefit to left-handed hitters we saw right Bryce Harper go deep against him and that's going to be the question with Doval where with Santos, the question has, he was actually a starter until last season when he got moved to the bullpen. Um, I'm, I was really high on him as frankly a starting pitching prospect, but the Giants have moved to the bullpen. He's had better control than Doval, but both have had kind of inconsistent, you know, definitely haven't had command. I've had inconsistent control throughout their careers. And we saw Santos leave a 97 mile an hour heater right over the middle of the plate. And hey, Jesus Aguilar had something to say about that. And, the, the question for Duvall is going to be, can he get the precise enough control to be able to be effective against left-handed hitters enough to be a closer, right? To be a uh, eighth inning, ninth inning guy who you can trust against left-handed hitters as well as righties. Yeah. I think there's a pretty safe floor with Duvall, even as is, even if he doesn't really develop more, he's going to be incredibly tough against right-handed hitters and at least useful in a seventh inning middle relief role, even if the control waivers for Santos, there are control questions, but I'm less worried about platoon splits. I'm less worried about, you know, his slider or anything like that. Cause I think frankly, his slider might be better than any pitch of either of the two. His is actually as good as his fastball is velocity wise. It's a, it has sinking action. It doesn't have a lot of run on it. And it's always played below its velocity. Even when he was starting in the minor leagues, he just never, you know, when you, when you're following prospects, you know, you see a guy 97, you know, 98 or sometimes, you know, he's touched 100 and 101. When you hear that velocity, you expect that guy to be dominating and striking out a lot of hitters at the lower levels. And Santos had solid strikeout numbers throughout his career, but never to the levels you would expect, given what you hear, were hearing, given what you saw when you watched on video. And I think that's because, again, the fastball just plays a bit below its velocity. So while it's 97, 98, 99, maybe even touching 100, 101, it probably plays more like 95. 97 touch 98 99 and we know we've seen today's baseball that's a pretty big difference in terms of how it plays with hitters and so i think santos again both of these guys i'm fair i'm very confident can be and will be at least productive middle relievers um i think santos both though the question is how far can their control command get and that's going to ultimately determine where they end up for doval I think you know he's, he can be a dominant guy against righties, and if the control comes, he can be a legitimate closer. For Santos, it's going to be getting enough command that even though his fastball may be as dominant as the velocity might suggest it will be, that if he can place it well enough, it's still going to be a, dom- a, a really good pitch alongside a, a wipeout slider, and he could be a closer too. Boy, they're making some noise for sure. And, uh, I mean, it's amazing the velocities that you're talking about. And, you know, if you're not upper 90s, then 
you're sort of losing a little. And it's amazing the hitters can even, you know, hit the way they do against that high velocity. You know, another guy who is not in the major leagues right now that you recently wrote about, Joey Marciano. I know he was uh, gaining attention when he was in Augusta a couple of years ago. Tell us about him, and you were writing about his uh, comeback story. Yeah, you know, frankly, it's one of the most, I think, exciting uh, stories in the whole uh, minor league system. Sam Long was someone who kind of popped up in spring training, had been with the Rays, released, looked at, you know, taking uh, EMS courses, was retiring, and he came back this spring with three incredible pitches, or three really strong pitches, a high 90s fastball. He was kind of one of the early uh, stories of spring training and Marciano is kind of that within the giant system at the minor league level. Marciano, you mentioned, was really good at Augusta as a starter, ends up moving to San Jose, struggles a bit. Giants move into the bullpen, has good strikeout numbers, walks kind of inflated. But, you know, he had some stuff um, with his family back home in Chicago and he, in 2019, middle of the season, ended up stepping away from the game to, to go back home and, and help his family through some trying times. And, you know, uh, after sort of six months, a uh, spring sort of of last year, actually, he says, you know what, I'm not done with this. And he gets back at it, gets, he's trying to get back up for the minor league season. And of course, COVID hits and there's no minor league season. And so he's back home in Chicago, figuring out what to do. And actually a former giant farmhand, DJ Snelton, who's, you know, I think he's now with the Cubs organization. Um, some Giants fans may remember, he's a good friend of Marciano and He's used some of these sort of newer workout driveline techniques and has picked up a lot of velocity. And he recommended them to Marciano. Marciano was always this guy with this loopy kind of curveball, almost 11.5-ish curveball, 12.6-ish curveball, low 90s velocity. And he starts doing these various workouts, doing these regimes, and he starts hitting 95. And he starts hitting 97 miles per hour pretty consistently. Now he's sitting in the mid-90s, touching 97. I think he's touched 98 on a couple of occasions as well. He's refined his breaking ball to have more kind of that sharp break we've seen that's sort of taken over baseball over the past few years. And he's, you know, we'll see what the Giants do. My guess is he comes back and they put him in a reliever role. He's, you know, open to whatever the organization thinks is best for him. But, you know, he's a guy, he doesn't rank in my top 31 prospects, but he's someone who, you know, he's 25, 26, but could move really quickly, you know, and be an incredible success story in this organization. Now, the minor league teams have not even started playing yet. They're going to get underway soon in early May. But we're already hearing about Elliot Ramos. I mean, he was fantastic in spring training. Marco Luciano, who got some time, you know, with a big league club in spring training. Patrick Bailey, you know, the catcher, was a first-round draft pick. Uh, what are your thoughts about how far up those guys can move uh, during this season and, you know, if they'll get a chance in San Francisco at some point? Man, there's so many unknowns just because we didn't have that minor league season in 2019, right? Like, it's easy for me to say with Elliot Ramos and Joey Bart, right? They both, obviously, Bart debuted with the team last year. They both performed well at spring training. They're going to start at AAA, right? And, you know, if you're at AAA, you're one injury or one incredibly hot stretch of play away from getting a promotion, right? right. <laughs> so I think, you know, that's, I think, how it works for those guys. The other prospects are where it gets interesting, right? Will Wilson, Patrick Bailey, you know, Hunter Bishop. These are players who are essentially first-round picks who the most experience they have is in short-season ball the same year they were drafted, in the case of Wilson and Bishop. For Bailey, not even that. There's no, we don't have a precedent because, you know, after you're drafted, we expect you to start at, you know, if you're a college player, high pick, probably high A, right? We probably expect what used to be San Jose is now 
Eugene, but do the Giants feel like Bishop and Wilson took enough steps that they'll start at double-A? Have they been impressive enough between spring training and the alternate site that do they start at triple-A? I mean, I have no idea. I think we're going to learn a lot just by where players are placed to start the season because Giants farm director Kyle Haynes has been open and talked quite a bit about the Giants want to be you know cautious. They don't want to you know overwhelm guys with the first regular minor league season. You know these you know there's a any baseball season is a grind. You throw in the conditions of minor league baseball, and there's a separate conversation about why that is and how that could change. But you know the conditions of minor league baseball. It's a grueling. It's a grind for any player at any level. And so if you're putting a player in that situation with talent not be as developed as as you know that's a real recipe for disaster and so i think the giants are going to be very cautious with these assignments so if we see a hunter bishop start at double a right that's really impressive to me because i think the giants are going my guess is the giants are going to take the approach every player who gets assigned of the sort of bigger names if they have a strong first month of the minor league season or even a couple weeks, they're going to quickly get a promotion to the next level. My guess is the Giants are kind of going to put players a level down from where they hope they're at, just to make sure they're not overwhelmed. In a strong month of play, we'll see kind of a quick promotion, and that'll kind of set things in motion from there. But, you know, I, th- like, I think we'll see guys like Marco Luciano and Louis, Luis Matos who haven't played at a full season ball yet. I think we'll expect to see them at San Jose, kind of the lowest full season minor league. Kyle Harrison, another example at the local De La Salle product, who's frankly been lighting up radar guns um, in minor league camp. He's someone I think fans should really be excited about. Um, but otherwise, yeah, the sort of middle minor league levels, the college picks from the last couple of years, I'm just really interested to see what these opening day rosters end up looking like. Yeah, it's going to be fun to follow it, and I'll look forward to having you on the podcast again later on during the season. We'll, we'll check on that. And before I let you go, I'm just curious what you thought about the Madison Bumgarner non-no-hitter for right now. They're calling it a significant achievement or something like that. I mean, a notable yeah. achievement. I mean, it's just ridiculous. I mean, it's seven innings. You say you're going to have a seven-inning game. You throw a no-hitter. It's a no-hitter. Now, I, I mean, I don't know how legitimate it is compared to a a nine-inning no-hitter because, honestly, Mark, when I think about it, that would be like playing uh, 16 holes of golf and saying, oh, yeah, I just shot a 55. You know, a pro golfer, or you know, let's say you or I are playing. Yep. You know, he shot eighty instead of whatever it was ninety something. So it's it's not it's not real. But you told the guy he has seven innings, and he pitched seven no hit innings. So I don't know. I think there's a lot of controversy. What are your thoughts? You know, I mean, to, to me, it's pretty. Yeah, I think it's a no hitter. He didn't give up any hits. Right. The, the definition um, is there now. Do I if you know, someone said in the record book, there should be an asterisk that said this was only seven innings. I have no problem with that. You know, right, I, I right. think it, it, there's no reason it shouldn't be acknowledged. Like to me, yeah, exactly. The definition of a no hitter is you throw and you don't give up any hits. And he did that for the game. And the one thing is too, even with the 16 holes in golf, look, if the tournament says you're only playing 15 holes and you know, that is what it is. Like, like this isn't something That's where, yeah. uh, you know, you know, had now I don't know the rules on this one is this, but if a player is like, what if a player had a seven inning, no hitter or no hitter through seven innings. And then the game gets called because of rain. And that's final. Like, is that, no, that, no, no, that's, they're saying that you had to go nine before. So, I mean, that's why I guess they're saying that, but we wouldn't be in this bind if they didn't have this seven inning double header deal. I I don't know why we have it. What's the hurry. What's wrong with playing four more innings in a day. I I don't know. If Rob, if Rob Manfred 
could stop being so committed to changing baseball on these peculiar margins that no one cared about, <laughs> right. we wouldn't have this issue, right? Because this is all about, like, you know, fa- you know, there's been excitement down and ratings were down. Of course, ratings have been up to start this year. And you wonder, hey, you have an exciting San Diego Padres team and Dodgers rivalry. You have, well, I wonder why ratings are up. Maybe it's because there's just some good teams, some teams that have invested in talent. But, yeah, I'll leave that there. But, you know, to, to me, what's, what's frustrating about what Manfred has done isn't necessarily the idea of experimentation. It's to me that he's been doing it at, at the big league level. And to me, it's been done without player input. And, and you know, I'm not saying players, you know, have the app should necessarily have the absolute say. I'm not, not saying players necessarily, you know, there are things, you know, everyone has things that, you know, you don't expect to be something you enjoy doing or are fine doing when things change and then something changes and it's not that big a deal to you. But, you know, it, it's just the, the nature of it. it. It feels just so top down in a way that, that I think just rubs fans and players the wrong way. Again, I'm not opposed to, you know, some changes to the game, but to me, the biggest honestly change in baseball that I'd like to see fixed is just how quickly starting pitchers are getting pulled, how, you know, how pitch counts are getting high so quickly. Like those are the things I'm most interested in because I think that's the biggest change in baseball has been the value of the starting pitcher. Right. And and to me, when you're growing up, when you're a young baseball fan, there's two ways you get really excited about a team, right? One is you have a bond. You have an incredible star player who, you know, you attach to and you can watch every day, Ken Griffey Jr. or something to that effect, right? A Mike Trout. But, you know, for a lot of fans, it's also the idea that you have an elite starting pitcher and every fifth day you, you want to watch that game. I mean, you know, you, you want to listen to that game on the radio. And I think there's something to be said for what makes a starting pitcher so valuable too, is that, you know, a lot of people will say, look, I don't have the time to, the patience to follow a 162 game season, but the nature of starting pitching being on a, you know, for a long time, four man or five man rotation, it meant if you loved a starting pitcher, if there was a Tim Lincecum at, at the top of his game, you go back to Sandy Koufax, you know, whoever it may be that every fifth game or every fourth game, you didn't have feel like you had to follow the game because there was that one pitcher you always wanted to see. That's what Jacob deGrom has been this season for the Mets. And I think the problem is, right, the teams aren't necessarily incentivized to develop starting pitchers because starting pitchers are expensive, right? Starting pitchers are some of the most costliest and, you know, and some say, and some, you know, when you look at some numbers, riskiest propositions for teams to sign on the free agent market. And so we've seen teams like the Rays, especially, right, who like to be cheap, who like not to spend money to invest in all these, you know, innovative ways to use relief pitchers and not rely as heavily on starting pitching, but I think that is frankly a bigger uh, a bigger impediment to the game than the the length of the game or all these other things. And I think that's the thing. If if I was going to be open to some big change to baseball, it would be one that makes starting pitchers more important, right? That that gives us the chance to see starters work seven innings to make complete games more routine again. That that's the one change I want to see. And I don't think any change Rob Manfred has, de- has made has done anything to do that. Well, that's well said. And I 100% agree. And it's funny that you say that about Lincecum because just recently I was thinking about the energy around it was AT&T now Oracle park, but at the time AT&T park, the energy around his starts. I mean, how much you looked forward to it, you know, and at the yep. time, you know, we had Kane as well and, and all these guys, one after the other and that could be 2021 here if these guys keep rolling like this that could be what we have and you're right I mean that that is the one area that you don't want to lose you want to keep having those good starters go out there and I think Kapler is kind of realizing that 
Definitely. And I think about, you know, for myself as a young fan, when I was growing up, you know, the Giants were not good after Bonds, you know, uh, you know, was not re-signed. And, and, you know, after Bonds leaves, those are not very good teams, not very exciting teams. Matt Cain is kind of the first player that, like, becomes kind of must-watch TV for me as a young fan. Even though the, the game, you know, even though, you know, getting Cain was a common thing, the Giants weren't necessarily scoring runs, a lot of the other things were going wrong. Having this young, exciting pitcher made me want to tune in, you know, every fifth day in a way that just, you know, I don't think there's an equivalent thing to having an exciting prospect. I remember when Steven Strasburg got called up, how big of a deal that was around baseball. Everyone wanted to watch it. I think it was against the Pirates, I want to say. You know, it was always a big deal, um, and, and it's always so exciting. And I think that's the thing, that's the biggest thing. You know, people talk about, you know, guys like Mookie Betts and Tatis, and, and again, incredible stars. But to me, the biggest change in baseball hasn't been what we've seen in terms of stardom for offensive players. It's been how much harder and how much different it is for a pitcher to be a star. I think that's what made Madison Bumgarner's, you know, postseason run in 2014 so impressive. Obviously, it was incredibly dominant and all these other things, but it also just was something we hadn't seen in so long. And I think it's something that fan bases across baseball crave. Absolutely. Mark, thanks a lot for the time. Look forward to talking to you again down the road. The podcast is Sound the Foghorn, and the website is aroundthefoghorn.com. So everybody uh, check that out, and we'll talk to you again soon. Uh, Mark, enjoy uh, all of the games, and uh, we'll have to definitely uh, see what goes on here if the Giants can keep it going. Definitely. If you want to follow me on Twitter, you can follow me at Mad Zalucki. That is M-A-D-D-E-L-U-C-C. H.I., man. Thank you very much for having me on today. That's Mark DeLuke from AroundTheFoghorn.com. Join us again next week. George Contos will be back for another edition of Inside China Basin. For now, I'm Joe Castellano. Thanks for listening on the SportsVirus.com and the Believe Podcast Network. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.